The best kind of horror films are the ones that showcase elements of suspense, terror and shock. But why do we put ourselves through this? Why do we purposely terrify ourselves for pleasure? In two words, suspense and resolution. Meaning that it isn't necessarily the horror that we love to watch. It's the resolution of that horror. It's the understanding that this is all make-believe. It's fantasy. It's not true. But what is truly terrifying is that a few of these movies are actually based upon true events. And true events do not follow the rules of horror movies. They don't always have that resolution. In this book, I have five frightening true stories that have inspired some of the most scary movies ever made. But unlike the movies, these are not all clean and cut. They don't always have resolution. So if you want to turn away now and restrain yourself from hearing today's stories, I completely understand. But for those of you brave enough to come for this ride, let us begin. We're starting our story with the Amateurville Horror. Many films have been inspired by this haunting true story, but the most popular is the original Amateurville Horror, first released in 1979 and then remade again in 2005. All of these films, they follow the same premise. Newlyweds are terrorised by demonic forces, after moving into a large house that was the site of a grisly mass murder just a year before. And this, this what I have here today, is the true story that inspired that, let's call it a, a pitch. In a town in Long Island on the night of November the 13th, 1974, in a house that looks almost exactly like the one from the movie, a 23 year old man by the name of Ronald J. Defio Jr. crept through his house armed with a rifle. He didn't have a scared look on his face, nor did he have an angry look. Ronald had this vacant stare, almost emotionless, as he wandered through the halls of his house armed with this rifle. And it was then when he started entering bedroom after bedroom and one by one, he shot and ended the lives of the six members of his family. Killed on that fateful night were his parents, Ronald Sr. and Louise, along with his young brothers and sisters, Dawn, Alison, Mark and John. Now at first, Ronald claimed he had found their bodies after the murders, and even blame the mass killing on a hitman. But by the next day, he confessed his sins and admitted that he was the one who killed his entire family. The why behind his crimes was never clear, as his story over the years had changed. First and most chilling, he said that he heard voices instructing him to murder his family. Many questions are left unanswered surrounding these murders. For one, 
Why did he do it in the first place? Was it for financial gain? Was it something supernatural motivating his actions? And how could this all happen without anyone in the family waking up or fighting back? Whether supernatural or not, the case of Ronald is truly a strange one. No vicious traits or actions that would have made sense for him to do any of this. Yet on that night, one by one, he shot each member of his family with a weapon that's not known for its silence. From bed to bed, he wondered, and never, never did any member of his family get up, fight, or even leave their bed. They just lay there, seemingly like they was waiting to be executed. As for Ronald, of course he was found guilty of the murders and sentenced to 25 years to life in prison, which it was there where he stayed until his death in 2021. However, our story really begins one year after the murders took place, which is when the Lutz family moved into the same property. George and Kathy Lutz bought the house on the cheap, one year after these horrific crimes took place, and they moved in with Kathy's three young children. Aware of the home's grisly history, the couple had the house blessed by a priest, who would later claim he heard mysterious deep voices telling him to get out. He also claimed he was attacked and hit by an unseen force and later blisters formed all over his hands. As for George, Kathy and the children, they began experiencing horrors of their own. Doors would slam on their own, beds moved, ooze was said to form on the carpet. Strange smells came and went and the house stayed extremely cold no matter how much they tried to heat it. A nearby garage door would start opening and closing. Eventually, as the days passed, these events became more and more regular and more and more terrifying. An invisible spirit started knocking knives over in the kitchen. Once at night, George and his son Daniel were sitting in the lounge when out of the window they seen a pig-like creature with red eyes staring down at them. George said that he would wake up at 3.15 almost every night, the exact same time that the murders took place. One night, he woke up to find his wife, Kathy, levitating over the bed. Less than one month into living in their new home, the family bailed leaving everything they had behind. 28 days in total is when the family lived in the house. Shortly after, famed paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren visited the house, which is where they captured this haunted photo, said to be the ghost of one of the young murdered children. Now during that story we mentioned Lorraine and Ed Warren, paranormal investigators. If you've not heard of these, these were some of the most famous 
paranormal investigators of our time. If there was horror involved, these were the guys you called to investigate it. And it's not just Amityville horror that was inspired by a story which they themselves investigated, but there are other stories. And one of the stories which really captures the imagination is the story of a doll named Annabelle. This is the movie released in 2014 about a couple that begins to experience terrifying supernatural occurrences involving a vintage doll. Shortly after their home is invaded by satanic cultists. Now the movie itself is a loose retelling of what really happened, but even so, the truth being what it is, the truth, makes the whole thing that much more creepy. So Annabelle was a vintage Raggedy Ann doll purchased in 1970 by a mother for her daughter, Donna. It was for her 28th birthday. Shortly after owning the doll, creepy things began to happen, such as Donna would leave Annabelle facing one way in her room to wake up and find Annabelle's head mysteriously turned to face her. She would toss Annabelle carelessly on a chair and later find the doll perfectly set up. Eventually, messages on parchment paper which Donna did not own started to be found and started to just prop up. Messages seemingly left by the doll, Annabelle. Donna first contacted a medium about the doll who told her it was inhabited by the spirit of a seven-year-old girl named Annabelle Higgins. Which, well, as creepy as that sounds, it isn't very demonic. But then things began to turn more sinister. It wasn't just a doll seemingly being in different places, but Donna visually witnessed the doll moving on its own. And one day, the doll tried to strangle and attack Donna's friend, Lynn. So she turned to the Warrens for help. The Warrens came by and investigated the doll. And after a bit of investigation and a bit of research, they informed Donna that Annabelle was actually inhibited, not by the spirit of a seven-year-old girl, but by an inhuman demon spirit. They then held an exorcism for the doll and removed it from her home. However, the exorcism did not take. The Warrens were driving home, with the doll in the backseat of their car, which is when the power steering and brakes began to fail. Once they finally arrived home after their near fatal incident, the Warrens had to have a special case built for the doll, which would be held in their occult museum. Since prior to this, Annabelle is said to have escaped several locks in its first weeks of being at the Warrens' house. Now out of all the items in the museum, and there are a lot of haunted items there, Spera, a paranormal researcher and son-in-law of both Ed and Lorraine Warren, claims that the doll is what he is most frightened of. Out of all of the things in the museum. Visitors who would come to the museum and who had taunted the doll were all involved in near fatal or fatal 
accidents upon leaving the Warrens' residence. Now, so far, these stories have been based upon the fear of the paranormal, but sometimes it's reality that is truly terrifying, which is going to be the subject of our next story. No belief in demonic forces or ghosts are needed to truly feel this horror, and it's the story that inspired the movie Open Water. Open Water was a 2002 movie about two scuba divers, sharks and tourism. Something very real. And the real story that inspired this goes like this. In 1988, Americans Tom and Eileen Longan took a trip to Australia for what should have been one of the best holidays of their life. The plan was to go scuba diving and explore the Great Barrier Reef, one of the most beautiful sights in the world. So on January the 25th, they paid for a group trip that would take them out into the ocean by boat so they could dive and explore. After they got out there into the ocean, all the divers jumped into the ocean. And I'm sure everyone had a fantastic time exploring far out into the Great Barrier Reef. When the exploring was done, the divers got back onto the boat and then the boat left for sure. There was a head count first just to make sure everyone was there, but a mistake was made. Two days later, something impossible to comprehend was discovered. The belongings of Tom and Eileen were found in a bag left behind on the boat. Somehow, no one else had noticed. But the Lonergans had never got back on the boat two days before. They had accidentally been abandoned all alone in the ocean. And at this point, 48 hours had passed. An extensive search was started, but Tom and Eileen were never found. The only proof of their fate was when a part of Eileen's ripped up wetsuit washed ashore the next month. Either both of them died of dehydration, drowned, or were taken under in the shark infested waters. No matter how they died, their last hours were spent lost, forgotten, and staring certain death in the face. Hard to imagine what you would do in that situation. After the boat leaves, you know there's no way it's coming back. Maybe you wait and think, hey, we can just float around for a little bit and eventually someone will notice. Eventually someone, someone will come back. But how long does that, how long does that last? What about when nightfall comes? What about when you begin to get tired and you can no longer tread water? What do you do then? Do you give up and sink? What about when the sharks do eventually come and you see your beloved, the love of your life, get pulled under by sharks and then you're left there all alone wondering when the sharks are going to come and get you. Now for our next story, one of the most popular horror films ever created and one that is almost impossible to believe was inspired by true events. This is the story of The Exorcist. <laughs> 
released in 1973, was one of the most popular horror films, The Exorcist. In short, a 12-year-old girl is possessed by a mysterious entity, and her mother seeks to help but two priests to save her daughter. For anyone who's watched the movie, the idea that this is based on reality is almost entirely unbelievable. Unlike shark-infested waters, this whole thing must be made up, right? Wrong. Ronald Doe was born 1935 and raised by a middle-class family in Cottage City. In the late 1940s, the now 13-year-old Ronald was mourning the death of his aunt. The aunt had taught him all about spiritualism, including how to use a Ouija board. Ronald's family notes that strange things started happening in their house shortly after the death of this beloved family member. And in January 1949, the family reported hearing strange dripping noises and scratching sounds in the house. At first, Ronald's mother believed these were the noises of their dead aunts. So the family started trying to reach out, reaching out to the spirits that they believed to be in the house, hoping that they could reason with them, maybe even talk to their aunt, and maybe, maybe just ask to be left alone. However, this began to make things worse. Ronald then claimed he started to hear someone walking into his room at night when he was trying to sleep and that scratch marks would appear onto his mattress when he woke up in the morning. Eventually, these scratch marks began also to appear on his body. Not knowing what else they could do, the family called the local minister. And after observing the boy overnight at the church, the minister suggested they reach out to Jesus, an apostolic religious community. The family converted to Catholicism and tried to have Ronald baptised. But the young boy responded to the baptism attempt with unbridled rage. At one point, Ronald was admitted to hospital where a psychiatrist attempted to treat him but was ultimately unsuccessful. From there, the family then thought that maybe moving Ronald to a different house might make the spirits leave him alone. But the strange events continued. They wasn't just in the house, they was in the boy. The family was all out of options at this point, and so they called upon a priest to perform an exorcism. Father Raymond J. Bishop was one of those priests who was called. Bishop later wrote about his experiences and how chilling they were. Another priest who claimed to assist the family was Father William S. Bowden. At one point, Bowden attempted to protect Ronald through blessings by putting a crucifix under the young boy's pillow. After leaving Ronald to rest, the family returned to find the furniture flipped over and the crucifix moved to the edge of the bed. Ronald's mattress at this point was shaking uncontrollably. Bowden also spoke about his experiences. He said one evening, 
The word Lewis was written on the boy's ribs in deep red scratches. Next, when there was some question of the time of departure, the word Saturday was written plainly on the boy's hip. As to the length of time the mother and the boy should stay in St. Louis, another message was printed on the boy's chest. Three and a half weeks. The printing always appeared without any motion on the part of the boy's hands. Priests performed multiple exorcisms on young Ronald Doe, one of which was performed at Georgetown University Hospital, a G-Suits institution. Another took place at the Alexian Brothers Hospital in South St. Louis, Missouri. While the exorcisms were performed, young Ronald vomited, urinated, spit and spoke in Latin. <laughs> Ronald also took a deep adult sounding voice that was unfamiliar to his family. The final exorcism was conducted with the help of priests Walter, Halloran and William Van Roo. At some point during this exorcism ritual, Walter's nose was broken. In the end, the priests claimed that they were successful in exorcising the demons from Ronald's body, and the young boy went on to live a relatively normal life. Now another classic horror that seems completely made up, but is actually based upon true events, is the Nightmare on Elm Street. Not quite an exact copy as The Exorcist was with the true story of The Exorcist, but the fact that much like with the story of Open Water, it's based on something very true, makes this story extra scary, and is a perfect way to round up our horror stories of today. Our fifth and final horror story, the story of the nightmare on Elm Street. So in case you need a recap upon the original movie, Nightmare on Elm Street follows teenager Nancy Thompson, who must uncover the dark truth concealed by her parents after she and her friends become targets of the spirit of a serial killer with a bladed glove, who attacks them in their dreams, in which if they die, it kills them in real life. Now the inspiration comes from a 1987 article by the LA Times about strange deaths people were experiencing while sleeping. You see, in 1983, at least 130 Southeast Asian refugees had left this world in essentially the same way as they do in the movie, Nightmare on Elm Street. They cried out in their sleep, and then they died. Medical authorities called this Asian Death Syndrome, which is now known as Unexpected Nocturnal Death Syndrome. The refugees had various names for it themselves, one of them being a night terror. In the Philippines, it's called Pankungut. In Japan, Pokori. In Thailand, it's, it's called something else. Everywhere has different names for it, but they all roughly translate as the same thing. Nightmare death. One example is a Cambodian family who came to America 
to escape mass genocide in the killing fields. They made it to the United States and all was fine, until the young boy who was in the family began to become terrified to sleep, because for some reason he felt that if he went to sleep, he would be killed by something chasing him. He forced himself to stay awake for days at a time, until eventually he couldn't stay awake no longer, and he went to sleep. You see, the boy began to have one of his nightmares, which he would often have, but something different happened with this one. The boy, he died, right there in the middle of having a nightmare, and which makes this even scarier, is it's exactly what he said was the reason he was scared of sleeping. And this boy's death, this was not an isolated incident. There were many articles around this time detailing the sleep-induced death of refugees. Many of these refugees who had fled Southeast Asia in hopes of finding a better life in America, they began suffering from extremely violent, potentially PTSD-related nightmares. They were so terrifying, in fact, that many refused to sleep out of fear of dying. And what makes this that much more scarier is that medical research has yet to provide a single adequate explanation for these deaths. We still don't know what happened in the late 1980s with all these refugees. We can assume all we want, but all we know is the stories they would tell each other. The stories that seemingly were true. And there we go, five of the most terrifying horror stories based upon true events. But this book I'm reading from, this book is full of equally terrifying stories based upon other events. And throughout October, I'm going to be sat right here, retelling stories from these books. What's the plot? Is taken October by force, and for the rest of the month, it's going to be truly spooky.